0: Well, hello, and welcome again to Church of the Beloved. We are super excited you guys are here with us. Uh, For those who do not know, my name is Pastor Otua. I am an associate pastor here at Beloved. And to be honest, I'm still not used to this virtual preaching thing. And so I actually had an idea, you know, because I like crowd engagement. I like kind of getting some feedback from the crowd of what's going on. And so I have my phone up here with me. Uh, And so, you know, if you have my phone number or my email from the website, you know, if I say anything that's insightful... Or that's funny, if you could just text or email me, um, LOL, that would be very helpful. You can send emojis if you want. Maybe some TikToks. I'll, I can't promise I'll watch them. Maybe I'll watch some of them. But be, it would be nice to have some virtual, you know, feedback on how things are going. I'm already getting texts. This is wonderful. Thank you so much. And so uh, last week we started our series on, on justice. And I talked about justice and peace. And what my argument was last week is that uh, injustice happens when we fail to see each other as fellow image bearers of God. Right? We don't see each other how God sees us. And what happens with that is that we, we then don't value each other, we don't uphold the social order he set, and ultimately we break his plan for peace or shalom. And honestly, I could probably preach a whole series on Shalom. Maybe eventually I will. But for the sake of our series today, I want to kind of move forward and build on that foundation, that idea, by talking about uh, justice and power today. And what I mean by uh, justice and power, what I mean by, by power is it, it's the ability to influence other people's lives. Right? Power is influencing someone else's life, having that ability, whether, whether they like it or not. That's what power is. Uh, is And so the more influence you have, the more power you have. And my argument today is simply this, that injustice happens when we fail to use the power that God has given us to then empower other people. That's when injustice happens. So I want to start with a story. I was meeting with a friend. and We were talking about race. Uh, and she's white. And she uh, asked me, you know, David, can I ask you an honest question? I got a little bit nervous, you know. I was like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Yeah, at this point, I've, I've heard everything, so I was ready. And she paused and she, she looks at me and she goes, how come it's more acceptable for people who are black to make white jokes than the other way around? I was like, I was not expecting that. That's a really good question, though, right? It's a good question. Why, why is it okay? And so the first answer that came to my head was because generally speaking, I think people who are black have much better jokes than the other way around. But I didn't want to say that, but that wouldn't go overwhelming or wrong. Maybe I didn't like that joke. Okay, anyways. Um, What I actually said was this. I said it has uh, something to do with power dynamics. That's what I said. I said, you know, when, when either group is joking, whether they want it or not, they're kind of characterizing each other. And they're building stereotypes about each other. Right? But here's the difference. Uh, When black people joke about maybe white stereotypes, uh, there's definitely power and influence there, right? They can hurt their feelings. They can mischaracterize them. They have influence over how they feel. When it's the other way around, it isn't just influence over how they feel. It could actually be much more than that because the power dynamics is actually usually like this. And the systems of this world Right? The, the platforms of this world are all controlled, generally speaking, by one group over the other. And so how they characterize them, the stereotypes they build around them, it doesn't just affect their feelings. It can literally affect their job prospects, right? Like, like their livelihoods. And I'm not saying either one is like more right than the other. In fact, I'm saying prejudice is always wrong, no matter what color you are, right? But prejudice that's empowered is not just wrong, it's actually dangerous. You feel me? And, and, and that's the difference, is that we have to kind of understand how power dynamics plays into the severity of the prejudice's damage. An example I thought of is kind of almost a token grandma or uncle or relative who says troublesome things about other races, right? And if you take those same prejudiced thoughts and you infuse them with power through, for example, a badge or a gun, then suddenly what you're worrying about is not simply an awkward Thanksgiving dinner, but lifeless bodies on the street. Power changes how much damage prejudice can do. And that's why it's so important that we understand that having influence over someone's life has immense constructive potential and devastating destructive potential as well. And so justice is about holding those up here accountable for their actions. And I think in order to do so in a society that with such stark power dynamics, we have to look up. We have to look to God and say, how does he who is just treat power? How does he view power? And how does he call us to handle power? So the passage we're going to focus on uh, today comes from Leviticus chapter 23-22. verses 22. This Bible is really small. If you have links to new Bibles, you can text it to me. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll get one this week. The passage says when you reap, the harvest of your land do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. So just in case you're kind of like me and you don't really know much about farming or, or agriculture uh, or the earth kind of in general, um, I want to explain what's happening here a little bit, you know. And, and, and what's important is this idea of reaping, right? Reaping is kind of just cutting the grain or the wheat of your ripe harvest, right? And then you gather that to make food or other sustenance that you need to go through your life. And so God's saying, you know, if you have a field and it's harvest season, don't cut the grain. Don't gather the grain at the edge of your field. Believe that for others, and also what's kind of in this, this idea of, of, of gleanings, and you could picture a vineyard, where it says, you know, if you have a vineyard and there's grapes that you're gathering because they're ripe, and you know, and some fall on the ground, don't pick them up. Leave them for others. That's what God is saying, and, and he cares so much about this, I think, four other times, or at least three other times it's mentioned in the scripture, this sort of command. For the poor. And so the first thing I want us to notice about this uh, is who God is speaking to, right? It's those with land, it's those who are rich, it's those who aren't sojourners or foreigners, they're domestic, they're native to the land. It's those in power with influence over the most vulnerable people in the nation. But notice what God does not say He doesn't rebuke them for having power, He doesn't rebuke them for having land, right? It's not innately wrong that someone has influence over someone else. Parents should have influence over their children, right? And parents' belts should have influence over children, at least if you are raised the way I was in Nigerian culture. Anyways, it's okay for employers, right, to have some power over their employees. It, it makes sense. And it's actually part of God's kind of gifting, right? A lot of us are kind of more wired to maybe be able to vision cast or to lead people. And so people will follow right that, right? And and so I think it's actually part of God's hierarchy. God loves order. Like I said last week, he, he loves it. He's not against people having power or influence. But how that power is obtained is where we often see the sin. Like many of you, I actually watched Hamilton last week, and despite it being, I think, eight hours long, I really enjoyed it. And what happened is that afterwards it made me kind of Google, you know, the founding fathers and kind of the early days of our nation and what happened. And I don't know about you, but I actually forget the history of our nation so often. And I forget how those currently in power got their power and the legacy is left until this day. I forget the aggressive colonization where literally people who were native to the land were forced to leave their homes. I forget how the early American economy was built on the backs of oppressed Africans whose bodies and spirits were beaten into submission. I forget how even in our great city of Chicago, there are people who literally use red lines around specific neighborhoods to ensure that uh, uh, insurance and power stayed with a certain hue. I often forget this. God does not forget. I wish I had time to show you all the times he opposes those who love power more than people. And we are called to do exactly the same. That although influence is not innately bad, we must continue to fight how that influence is unjustly obtained. So the second thing I want you to notice about this passage actually comes from a little uh, Hebrew study of the word you here. It's used I think, three times in this passage, and this is what it says: "When you reap the harvest of your land, let's, let's just stop here for now. when you reap the harvest of your land, this you here is plural, which makes sense. It's a command to all the Israelites is, re- is being read to all the community, when you all, when y'all, as like Aaron would say, when y'all reap the harvest, right? But in the second you, you shall not reap." Um to the very edges of your field, that second you is singular. And it's fascinating, because I, I mean, I don't know if this is a kind of a Hebrew just like litorical uh, lit- device or what, but it makes you almost seem, feel like God is saying, when, "When y'all right reap from your harvest, you specifically." shall not reap to the edges. You specifically should leave it for the poor. When, when, when y'all kind of have this general command, to do, you and you and you, and I have to almost imagine, maybe it was a stark difference for those hearing. Maybe, maybe they're kind of zoning out until he used a singular you and said, you are responsible as an individual to take care of the poor. And this got me thinking that we must individually own God's call To serve those we have influence over. We have to. I think of the end of 2 Corinthians even where Paul wrote this whole letter with instructions to the church. And at the end he says this. He says, uh, examine yourself and see that you are in the Lord. Like hold a mirror up to your life. That's that's what it is. Examine your life. Examine the platform that God has given you. Examine the, the, the influence that you have. I think too often we fall into the trap of thinking if we're passive with injustice, it means we're not perpetuating injustice. But injustice is like a, it's like a down escalator. You know what I'm saying? There are some people who are walking or running down. But even if you stand still, you will eventually reach the bottom. So unless you are actively taking steps up towards justice, you will be a part of the injustice. That's why you're hearing kind of more and more the language of, it's not okay to simply say, oh, I'm not racist. But you must be what? Anti-racist, they say. You must be actively working against it. And in the same way, we should actively be looking for ways to use our strength for the sake of those who are vulnerable. Same idea. So the third thing I observe from this passage is that God states at the end of it His name. Did you notice that? He says, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. It's kind of weird that he does this for me. I don't know. I don't usually state my name after end of, you know, things I say. And so I actually wanted to uh, poll the audience. And I gave you all plenty of time to think about this. I don't want any excuses this week. Okay. Uh, I asked the question. And if you're at home and you're with people, you can even pause the video, discuss it among your friends. That's totally cool. That's the advantage of live streaming. And so I want to ask you guys uh, this question. Why do you think God does this? After giving this kind of like direction to the people of Israel, why why does he state his name at the end? What do you all got for me? You have plenty of time. Silence of the lambs. No? Any guesses? That's it. Not your question. To remind us of his authority. That's five Jesus points for you, Peter, well done. And I thought of a story, you know, my, my brother, not, a lot, when I was younger, he would come to me and be like, uh, you have to wash the dishes. And what do you think the first thing I asked him was, who said that? Right, who said that? He's younger than me. I'm like, who's who have to wash the dishes, right? Like, is it you? Is it mommy? Is it daddy? You know what I'm saying? And if he even began to form the words daddy, I will already washing the dishes. Like I wasn't, even, I'm not playing around, right? But it shows you that who is speaking matters. And what God's doing is he actually, he's actually kind of uh, uh, mimicking ancient royal uh, declarations. Where before you give a decree, you would, either before or after, you would give the king's titles. You would give his name. You would give his accolade to say what? We'll show you the authority of the one who's talking right now. And so what's happening here uh, is that this isn't a thing that you do when you have time or you're feeling generous. This is a command. That's what God is saying. This is a command at all times. And chances are, this, this, this might not sit well with us in this particular subject. And I think this is why. One lie that society has told us is that helping those who need help Giving to the poor is charity. When the truth is that it's actually justice. Tim Keller, um, we should be praying for as a church, as you know, he's going through cancer treatment now. Um, I think he puts it best um, when he says this. He says, some Christians believe that justice is strictly the punishment of wrongdoing. They would insist that, that uh Helping the needy through generous giving should be called mercy, compassion, or charity, not justice. But this view does not fit in with the strength or balance of the biblical teaching. In the scripture, gifts to the poor are called acts of righteousness, as in Matthew 6, 1 and 2. Not giving generously then is not stinginess. It's unrighteousness. It's a sin against God. And therefore, by definition, a violation of God's justice. Do we get what he's saying here? That this is the definition of justice. It's not not charity, it's not not being nice. This is what you're called to do. And God doesn't say, hey, the people who are coming to glean and gather, hey, ask them why they're poor. Oh, ask them why they're fatherless. Ask them why they're foreigners. Give give them this this application to fill out to see if they qualify for the aid. He doesn't say that. He said, if there's mouths to feed, feed them. If there are hands that are unemployed, get them work. If there are heads without a roof over them, get them homes. That's what you're asked to do. Because I am Yahweh, the Lord. And I said, this is what justice looks like. And that's what's happening here. And I know it's tough because there's times where we're like, man, like they, they, they kind of did it to themselves, right? They made so many mistakes. It's almost like they didn't value their lives. And I think it's important for us to remember how people value their own lives is between them and God. What's between us and God is how we value their lives. And so I want to begin to wrap up with this last observation from the text. God doesn't simply say, Go and, you know, just give out resources to the poor. He says, share your field with them, right? Like you have a part of your field and the edge part will no longer be yours. It will be theirs. And he says, invite them to reap like you reap, right? To gather like you gather. Did you think about why he said it has to be on the edge? Is it not because god's like they're going to work and have to go to a lot of fields like, like they don't have time to sit and wait around for you to just give ha- like handouts or like divvy it up when you're done value their time because this is this is their job this is their work you're adding dignity and pride back to them right it 's easily accessible to them to the work um, it dignifies them makes them feel valuable it's not a trap like we do sometimes where we uh, Encourage people to get jobs, but they can't because they have no degree. And they can't get a degree because they can't stay in school because they can't afford it without a job. It, it isn't a trap in that way, right? It's a true opportunity for the powerful to invite the vulnerable to partake in their power. That's what's happening here. Sharing your field with those who have no field. Here's the thing. You will not gain nothing. If you do this, you will will not gain any material thing. You're just giving them your field. One of the best examples of this we find actually is in Ruth chapter 2. Where she goes to Boaz's field. And he generously gives her more than the leftovers he has. And what happens? He's not getting anything but he still has enough for himself. And that's what we have to remember. There's more than enough. There's more than enough, even when we share with those who don't have. And so we are, we are called to give those under our influence a chance to break the cycle of powerlessness so that they too can rise up one day and enjoy the same freedoms and blessings that God has graciously given us. I want to end uh, with this. I actually love that Chase prayed this morning for uh, Made in Hope and SheWorks, which I was actually a part of. And it reminded me of my time there because, you know, when I got there, it was amazing. They hosted us so well. And there was so many women there uh, who were leading the seminars, the trainings, the orientation. They were catching us up on the history in the Philippines of human trafficking. And I was learning so much. I I was being so blessed by them. I didn't know until maybe two, three days into it that those same women were actually victims as well. And then they were running the whole program. I, I didn't realize that until afterwards. And what was amazing for me to be, was this. I realized that what this program had done was not simply help them and rescue them and give them resources. it empowered them. It gave them their dignity back. And their pride back. They gave them a platform to use their voice. And I'm like, what? What better example than that for what Christ is calling us to? And so I want to end with what we started with. A picture of Christ. In Philippians chapter 2. Where we see that Christ was in the very nature of God. He was clothed in power. But he didn't consider the power he had and the equality with God as something he should use for his own advantage. Instead, he made himself nothing, coming down, being the same nature of a servant. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. I want to pause here for a second. Jesus in his power and his glory and his influence came down and gave it up. And he humbled himself to be with us who are powerless to save ourselves who are fatherless because of our sins, who are sojourners to God's kingdom. He came down to be with us. But he didn't stop there. According to this passage, he was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Because what Jesus did on the cross was he said, I will go back to my power now, but I want to invite these people I love to come with me. I want to empower those who were once powerless with the power of the Spirit to change. I want to empower those who were foreigners to this kingdom to now sit at the same table that I sit at. I want to bring people who were nameless, lost, fatherless into my family to be called children of God. That's what Christ did. He didn't just give up his power. He empowered us. And he shared his inheritance with us. So now that is our big brother and we are beloved. This is what we're called to do. Those of us who have power and influence in the name of justice. To invite people to the same freedom, the same peace, the same belovedness that we have through Christ our Lord.